Hello, and welcome to another DBSA podcast. I'm Sarah Wendell from Smart Bitches Trashy Books, and with me is Jane Litt from Dear Author. Today we're talking about contemporary romance, specifically those contemporary romances that are very popular and selling well as self-published romances, marketed as single title, but are actually category romances. I think of this as, surprise, you're reading category romance. We talk about the different readership those books have attracted. We also talk about when a hero ruins a story, what makes us stop reading. But the big news, big news, big news, yeah, big news, we have a sponsor for the podcast. Speaking of category romance, we have a sponsor for the podcast from now until the end of the year. Harlequin has agreed to sponsor the podcast so we can attempt to, you know, make it more awesome, more frequent, and more better, because more better is what everyone's about, right? So I have a special message from Harlequin. Are you ready? Are you sitting down? Well, if you're walking somewhere, then don't stop or anything, but here, here's the special message from Harlequin. Are you ready? Drum roll. Harlequin welcomes you to visit harlequin.com, where you can read free serialized stories by Harlequin authors, get information on new and upcoming releases, watch video trailers and author interviews, participate in online discussions, and much more. Yay! Thank you, Harlequin. You're made of awesome. And now, on with the podcast. And then you suggested we talk about contemporary romance and why it's seems to be increasing in popularity it is increasing in popularity you don't think that there is a rise in contemporaries no i i actually do i absolutely do but just because i think something is true doesn't mean that statistically other numbers agree with me um what i was thinking was how many extremely successful self-published authors there are right now in romance and how all of them seem to be writing contemporary well i think it's a function of a couple things The books that have been popular on the Kindle bestseller list that were self-published and are now being leveraged into larger contracts with New York Mm -hmm. uh, are all category titles. And um, they're just marketed as uh, straight-up fun contemporaries. There's Jennifer Probst, um, Catherine Bybee, uh, the Sidney Landon Danvers series. Not to mention, I think that the young adult books that are successful, um, self-published, have also been contemporary stories and with no paranormal elements attached to them. I I had that written down that one of the things that I've noticed is that YA contemporary has been much more popular in the last few years, I would say. I don't know if I would say few years. I think it's now. I mean, I I think that now is the, the change. I remember talking to some authors at RWA last year, was last year the year that they had the rotating restaurant or was that the year before? There have been two years with a rotating restaurant. One was in Texas when I was as big as a house and that was at the top of the top of the hotel. I don't remember the, it was in Florida. And then where was RWA last year? It was, it was, must've been two years ago. Two years ago, you were spinning around with a bunch of authors. (laughs) I had spoken with a couple authors who um, believed that contemporary YA was going to be the next big thing. And uh, it didn't come to fruition when those authors published their books. Uh Um, Those books didn't really go anywhere. But I definitely see it now. At least, like you said, it's driven in part by the self-publishing market. But you can't ignore that market. No. No, you can't. So, obviously, Harlequin Presents t- 
tells the type of stories that have wide-ranging appeal. I mean, it's the, the most successful line of Harlequin. But there's a huge number of readers who won't buy a Harlequin category book. I was just going to ask you that, if you thought that some of the success could be attributed to the fact that many of these self-published books are category-style books that are not marketed under the banner and appearance of a Harlequin. Yeah, I think that a bunch of people who are buying these books would never buy a category book and would would resist the uh, idea that they're reading a category book. I wonder why that is. Why do you think? I think there's a lot of disdain. You can see it. Um, I see it within my own readership that there's a certain disdain people have for Harlequin, uh, the Harlequin categories, the way that they're mass-produced. I definitely uh, had this disdain. I had that disdain for a long time until you schooled me otherwise. I, I just think it's part of the packaging. When, <clears throat> when all the packaging looks the same, the uh, assumption is all the stories are the same and that they're very much mass-produced with very little creativity. Uh, and that works for a lot of readers. Uh, Harlequin has obviously done a lot of research into that, mm -hmm. but it doesn't work for a lot of other readers. I wonder if that's the reason why some of their titles that are being produced don't have any banners like Sarah Mayberry's last two books were large images with her author name and there wasn't a, a banner head of any Harlequin insignia that I could see. Oh, I, I uh, or do you think they still look like categories? Well, Sarah Mayberry's last book was self-published. No, 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 no. Before that, the one with the, uh, the, well, you know me, I don't remember titles. This is the one with the pregnant lady in front of the Sydney Opera House. And there was one before that where they were sitting on a sofa um, in a cabin or something. I'll look up the titles and look much smarter in like yeah, 25 it's minutes. More, more than one night and all they need, they all yeah. have the Harlequin Super Romance insignia across the top. They do? Yeah. Check out my visual memory. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Pardon me. I mean, it's not as visible as it was before, but it's clearly visible. So part of the success, you think, is that these are category-length romances, which require less time to, to read, and they're not marketed as Harlequins, so that those who, who would never buy a Harlequin will pick those up. Well, I think that the tropes in A Harlequin Presents, as evidenced by the success of Fifty Shades, which mm. is essentially the billionaire and shy virgin, um, are very appealing. Don't forget the tampon. And obviously readers respond to that, but there's a huge number of readers who aren't ever going to buy a category romance. See, that surprises me, and I'm trying to think back to when I was more douchey in my opinion of Harlequins because I definitely thought that they were interchangeable, and I believe I used the term disposable. Because back then, not only were they all um, marketed very similarly, and they all looked the same, and you can tell which ones were which from across the room, but that was when they were still using the hook words. And... If you're going to use 45 different permutations of tycoon, billionaire, virgin, something, I'm never going to be able to remember it. There's a, there's a Maya Banks that I liked that is hard to find, and I still can't remember the title unless I think about it. And then two out of three times I'll get it wrong when I try to look it up. But I can tell you what it looks like because she's got a, a yellow dress and red flower in her hair, and he's a Greek billionaire, and it's awesome. But because of the hook words, I can never remember the titles of any of them. And so... I had the impression that they were interchangeable and disposable, really. That they, they never even lasted on the shelf more than two weeks. If I went to the bookstore, a week later they were all gone and there were new ones. I recognize that I was completely wrong in that and there's been a lot of categories that I've liked, but maybe you're right and it's just not possible to change that readership's perception. 
I think the problem is, is that Harlequin, for example, by getting rid of the hook type titles, it has to go far beyond that into transforming them away from category look like look. And frankly, if you do that, you are going to stand to piss off huge number of people who already read those books, who are very tied to the presents look. In fact, I have a post tomorrow from some Harlequin authors in which they talked about they don't want to lose that look. They think that looks very um, important to their brand. And, and I understand that because there are, I don't know, you know, a hundred thousand, a couple hundred thousand women who um, buy those regularly mm-hmm. every month and expect a certain product. I think in order to attract the Jennifer Probst, um, Catherine Bybee, Sydney Landon crowd, they have to uh, move away totally from marketing them as a category. But part of the success of their business is built on scale. Right. And right. If, you can't, if you can't market them as a category line, you lose scale. But I guess that's far away from um, the issue of the rise of the contemporary. I mean, I, I think the contemporary is huge right now. If you talk to editors, they're not seeing very many paranormal um, submissions, not seeing as many historical submissions. And contemporaries are definitely on the rise. And the books that they're looking at, you know, on the Kindle bestseller list are contemporaries, all contemporaries. So you're saying that when we started Save the Contemporary, was it two years ago, this is all our fault? No, I think, <laughs> Give ourselves all the credit. <laughs> I think the Save the Contemporary was like four years ago. Was it four years ago? I have no concept of time. It might have been. Three, it's, been maybe. it's been a while. So this is all our fault. Well, I doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> it would be nice to think I don't so. think we have anything to do with it. Isn't it pretty to think so? I suppose. One thing I've noticed is that when I am picking out books that I want to read and schedule for reviewing, how many more contemporaries there are that are not only category length, but come up with reasonably logical reasons for the couple not to just jump into bed already. Like there's, I think, a real creativity of conflict that's going on that I personally really like. It's not just workplace conflict that they're we work in the same place or that there's um been a will written requiring them to marry which as i understand it madam lawyer that doesn't actually happen right you can't require somebody to marry somebody else well you say that but the jennifer probe story i'm taking that you haven't read that book uh, you told me that i didn't need to so i didn't <laughs> well the uh, the jennifer probe series is based upon a um you know it's called the merit or the book is called The Marriage Bargain. I mean, it's about a guy who has to marry someone in order to get a business that he wants. And so he pays a a woman, I can't remember, $50,000 to marry him for a year. And that's a recurring theme. But my understanding from from a friend of mine who also draws up wills is that you can't require someone to marry someone else on a will. You can require someone to live on a property in a will if, if the condition of their inheriting of that property be that they're present on the property for a certain amount of time as a caretaker, that is possible. But I've never heard of a will, and neither had she, where someone had to marry someone else. However, when I go to law school in Romance Land, that's going to be the only type of law I practice, like requiring marriages. 
I, that's what I'm going to do. It'll be very popular then. I know. I'll be very wealthy. The other thing I don't understand are who are these business owners that want the people who, who, to buy their businesses that they have to be married? Well, I guess the argument is that a married man uh, is more settled than an unmarried one. Oh, that's hooey. Therefore, <laughs> is the check good? Is it not going to bounce? We have a deal. <laughs> therefore, it's a better business risk to do business with a um, married man. I, there are statistics that say that married men make better employees. Yes, I have seen that. So what are the contemporaries that you've liked so far recently? Recently? None. <laughs> I have been having a hard time finding contemporaries that I've liked as well. I was in the middle of reading the Susan Say self-published book when I read your review. I was literally in, had it in my hand and looked at my phone and saw your new post. And I was so bummed that that book was not going to turn itself around because I already hated the hero and I was about 45% in. Oh, no. God. So did you, did you abandon the book? I abandoned it based on your word. I mean, if it's, if, if it's not going to get any better for, oh, God, I hated him. I wanted to hit him with something. You were right about the, I didn't mention that in my review, but when he forces, basically forces her to eat meat. Oh, wasn't that just ridiculous? It, it was astonishingly terrible. And I don't know why I didn't put it in my review, because I remember bookmarking it and thinking, You dick. Yeah, like he, after meeting her for five minutes, decides that she, she, he knows better about her dietary choices than she does. Right, and that the reasons that she's making those choices, which are all perfectly logical and backed by her own experience, that's secondary to the fact that she's too thin and the waitress says you have to finish your plate. Well, and it just wasn't even the thinness. It was that he was ascribing to her that her um, reasonings was not false, but um, not sincerely held. Right. It was shallow. Right. And, and he didn't know her. One I thing that know. I really didn't like, and I, and I didn't leave this in my comment, because usually I get moderated when I post on your site, and I didn't want to leave a really big comment. The other thing that I, I really disliked intensely was the scene where they're trying to find out where Mary Jane is and they're going from house to house. And I really got the sense that some of the comedy was let's laugh at poor people. Well, I, I, I suppose, I suppose there was that. Um, I, I understand what you mean when they went to the very various different homes looking for Mary, Mary Jane. Right. And they get to the house of the guy who was smoking a joint, but it exhaling through a tube stuffed with fabric softener. So it smelled like, um, bounce and weed or something or the laundromat right. pot the laundromat pot dealer or something there was parts of that that were really funny but the way that it was constructed i felt like i was being invited to laugh at these people who lived in really terrible conditions where two chapters earlier i was in by being invited to empathize with how hard it is for them to secure medical care in this country where we supposedly have so much and i thought well how am i supposed to go from empathizing to then laughing at them that's not cool yeah, I can see that. Um, the, my biggest concern in that scene was, oh, no, I hope this isn't the only portrayal of a, a minority in this book. Well, don't forget, there was a um, stealthy MBA man who lost his job and now cooks his book, cooks the books for the gang. I, that could have been the hero. That was fascinating. Yes, I, thought, I totally thought that Tyrese and Mary Ann would have been the much better story, but possibly a story that Susan Say couldn't tell. 
Oh my gosh, that that would have been an amazing story. I was like, to hell with this hero guy. He's an asshole. Yeah, I didn't feel like Eric ever turned around. I mean, later in the book, um, when they finally have sex, he goes the next morning or afternoon, I can't remember, and proposes to Mary Jane. Perfect. That's exactly what I wanted. What? Yeah, and he was feeling guilty at the time. Like, after she put the ring on, he thought, oh, this isn't right. I shouldn't have done this. And I thought, you know, the time to have those doubts were not before, was not even before you put the ring on, was, but before you had sex with Nixie. Yeah, that might have been. What, the other thing I don't understand about his, his dual relationships was that he had so little respect for Nixie and never justified why he was interested in her. Was it because she was breathing? Yeah, I didn't understand what gave him the right to be so judgmental of her. Like he was the, she had spent her entire life building churches and orphanages. I know. And, and, and everybody knew that and, and that he would just assume that she's some brainless society idiot. And then he, he's the one that's a surgeon and only volunteers part-time at this clinic. Why yeah. isn't he the brainless society idiot? Oh, it was ridiculous. I downloaded a book by Maggie Marr, who is not Melissa Marr. It's a different person. Maggie Marr wrote a book called The Hollywood Girls Club that I liked, but it was women's fiction, and I couldn't really – it just didn't really fit on the website because it wasn't so much a romance as it was a sort of a Jackie Collins – style, very glitzy, very soapy story. But she self-published a book called Can't Buy Me Love. And it's a lot, it's like one of those Harlequins that you read from like 10 or 15 years ago where the, where the hero has no problem. Like if the heroine's sitting in a chair, he'll grab the arms of the chair and lean over and get all up in her face and yell at her about something she did professionally. He's that kind of guy who I think is kind of horrible. And much like the, the, the Susan Say self-published book, it, it is amazing to me that if a hero is bad, I am completely done. I have no more interest. I can tolerate a flawed or poorly constructed heroine if the hero is really, really great. But when the hero is a complete ass, I'm done. I can't even read it, which makes me feel like I'm very shallow. I don't mind a redemptive story. Yes. Um, and in fact, uh, I read uh, Autumn. Did you read Deep Autumn Heat or Try To by Elizabeth Barrett? No, I did not. Well, the heroes are all douchebag in the beginning. But toward the end, the heroine became so annoying and irritating that I actually started feeling sorry for the douchebag hero. <laughs> so, I mean... That's a problem. Yeah, in that book, I, we should be talking about books we like, but this book kind of pissed me off because the heroine is a chef in a very small restaurant in his hometown. Mm -hmm. And he comes in and kind of ribs her about her cooking and so then he challenges her to a cook-off in, in the middle of her restaurant, in the middle of the day, during service. Oh, of course. Of course. And then uh, she, she's, she agrees. Well, how could she not agree, right? Mm -hmm. He's challenged her publicly. And then um, she doesn't tell him when the cook-off's going to be. So he comes back, like, during lunch service the following day and is like, you have to set up a time. We're gonna, when are we going to do it? 
And I'm like, dude, she's in the middle of the lunch service. Like, what if she came to your restaurant in New York and was like an, an interrupted lunch service to tell you that you had to do something for her? Yeah, screw you, pal. Yeah, and then um, later on, he comes in and he and she's serving uh, four elderly people in this small town, and he makes suggestive comments to her about like having sex with him or something. No. And I'm like, dude, this is her place of business. Rose. Yeah, it was. I thought it was just really terrible. <laughs> but then, like I said, she becomes really irritating. Like, um, he goes off to New York. Because uh, he has business to do, and he calls her several times, but she's too busy to call him back. Mm -hmm. And but she's mad that he hasn't done more to contact her. And the, another character's like, "What? He hasn't emailed you, or, 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 or texted you?" And she's like, "No." I'm like, "Dude, you can't be angry about that. He's called you several times, and you haven't called him back." Oh, for God's sake! I know. Please don't be dumb. It really ruins the story. Did you ever read The Virgin's Revenge by DiTenorio? Did you keep going through the initial chapters? I did finish it. What did you think? Eh. <laughs> there were some parts of it that I really, really liked, but there were so many things that were missing and so many things that were told. I wish that it had been better, but even as it was, I'm, I still have a much better memory of it than I, than I remember actually enjoying the story. Does that make sense? Like I look back on it and I can remember certain scenes and characters that I really liked, even though while I was reading it, I know that I wasn't totally in love with it. My biggest problem in that book was I didn't understand Cole. Like, okay, he, he's not gonna get he's not gonna get married because his parents had a terrible marriage and he doesn't feel like he can commit to a person on that level. But and he knows that she loves him or at least has a very serious long-term crush on him right and he's not going to have sex with her because she should have sex with someone that she where there's a mutual love feeling right but he'll do everything else but that right like well, I, I don't get that my biggest problem with him was that he didn't change he was like a catalyst he helped her do a bunch of things but he didn't change very much he was still the same dude I just didn't, it just didn't make any sense to me. <laughs> it didn't. I mean, I like the idea that she was going to expand her wings and become independent and that she'd been stifled by her family and so right. forth. Um, and I appreciated that storyline, but I didn't understand him at all. And um, frankly, I thought he was, like you said, he wasn't really his own character. He was just there to... Uh, provide turns in other people's developments. I thought that Locke was a much stronger character. Oh, on he was age amazing. Than I, I was Cole like, was. when's his? When's Locke's story? I I call characters like Cole protein catalysts. They only exist to create the reaction, the chemical reaction, but they don't actually do anything except create someone else's change. Their 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 role is like you said to change someone else, but they themselves don't really change much. They are either exactly the same as when they started, or they're consumed entirely, and there wasn't that much difference. I had a really hard time looking for the July book club selection. Yeah, so this is a book I've never heard of. Tell me about it. Well, this book came about into my attention basically. I've had a run over the last few weeks of 
really, really bad pitches for review, and it's starting to make me a little sad. Like I, today, I had one that said, um, "My book is self-published, and thanks to early readers, I think all the typos were caught, and the book is clean now." <laughs> Yay! Which made me think of your post from Sunita about how um, that uh, the you know your 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 customer is not your beta reader. So Bridget Kemmerer sent me a, a pitch in late May and introduced herself and said that she's, you know, she's been reading the site for years and she hopes she gets, gets a chance to meet me at RWA, whether or not I choose to review the book. And she sort of got right away how to sort of introduce herself without making it sound like, oh my God, I fear you. You're going to be so mean. You're going to tear off my hair and be really mean to me, which I am not actually a mean person. So she described the book as follows, quote, my world revolves around a family of four brothers who control the elements of earth, air, fire, and water. And while it's full of action and adventure, it's really a story about family and growing up and dealing with harassment and bullying. I hope I'm not making it sound like an issue book because it's not. Every, each book in the series will focus on a different brother. And I thought, well, that's kind of cool. I like that idea. So I got a sample of it and... Um, started reading and the thing that's really interesting about the the book is that the focus of the first story despite the series being about the brothers the heroine is much of the focus of the first book the heroine becca is a high school student and she's trying very hard to be not noticed because she had been dating a really popular guy on the soccer team and one night something happened, and it's not revealed until much later what specifically happened, but they broke up, and he told all of his friends that she was a slut, and so everyone harasses her and treats her as if she's easy and somewhat worthless. And so she get, she deals with, you know, students making comments to her or about her. She's not treated very well, and she's trying very, very hard to be as invisible as possible when she can't really be invisible. And one night she leaves a self-defense course because she thought, well, maybe it would be a good idea to take a self-defense course. And she comes out, and here are these two guys beating the absolute crap out of this third kid on the, in the parking lot. And she's sort of thinking, okay, I just took the self-defense course. What do I do? So she gets in the car and drives the car straight at them to try to scare them off. And that tangles her in the conflict between those three boys, which you learn more about later. The brothers... One, one of the boys who is being beaten up is one of the four brothers for the series. And the story is very much about Becca trying to figure out who she can trust of the people that she's now meeting. But the scenes between the brothers are also so good that I want to keep reading more about those four. And I am really very leery about paranormal. I'm very paranormaled out. I am really tired of the whole world hanging on the balance of whether or not two people do it. And I, and I don't want anyone to have any magical powers for a little while, but this really caught my attention, which is odd because I'm generally not interested in paranormal, and I really liked it. And I'm glad that I picked it because a couple people have said to me over email, I just read this. It was really glad. I can't wait to talk. I'm really glad you picked it. I can't wait to talk about it. I don't know if it's your thing because I know you're not so much into YA paranormal, but I really liked it. The reason that I don't like um, paranormal it's not that I don't like Paranormal Way because I've read Paranormal Way. I think um, I don't enjoy it when the young adult issues that I read about in young adult books are very young. And so I like them to be independent and um, working on issues that I, 
I find relatable. What if it's about fitting in at school and bullying and that sort of thing? That just doesn't really interest me. I don't mind situations like that in a YA. I well, I think a lot of people enjoy that. I I enjoy it because I still have that feeling in large groups, especially at RWA when I tend to keep my back to the wall. And I I like stories where the person is unsure of themselves socially because I think most people can relate to that. What I'm sort of over is the, the you know the fate of the entire universe is in the hands of someone who is 15. Oh, that's just not good. It doesn't matter how awesome they are. That's not good. And one of the things that's 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 interesting about Kemmerer's world is that there's a whole I hate to say secret world because that's such an overdone concept but there's a whole group of people who have the ability to manage or control or influence the elements and they are trying to keep their existence secret from people who can't but the parents are the one who are trying to manage the secrecy not the kids so when the kids don't have parents like the four brothers do not have parents anymore they have to manage something that they're not really ready to manage and they all kind of know it I appreciate that because whenever you have a paranormal where there's like a 15-year-old who's going to, you know, rule the world, come on. At 15, I wasn't even good at shopping at the mall. Forget ruling the world. But then I'm not actually really good at shopping at the mall now and I'm 37, so maybe I'm not such a good judge. So what else are you reading? You ever go through one of those times where you start to read a bunch of different books and none of them work and so they all blend together into one big, no, I didn't like that well, to some extent, but I, I mean, I have to finish at least three books a week. Right. I tried to read a couple books over the weekend while I was in the car, and I would get three chapters in and be like, I don't care, I don't care, I don't like you, I don't care, and I'm moving on. So what are you reading that's awesome that you're enjoying? Well, I'm not reading anything that's awesome. Oh, dear. You re- how, what are you reading that just sucks out loud? Oh, God, so many things. <laughs> Well, that's not true. Okay, um, for contemporaries, Marilyn Kelly's August Harlequin Presents Extra um, is uh, called Never Stay Past Midnight. It's about um, a guy who sets up nightclubs all over the world, super successful at it. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he doesn't stay at any one place very long, you know, six months, um, a year at the most, I guess. To, to hunt down property, you know, train new staff, make sure it goes through its opening um, paces. And the heroine is a woman who is going to open, can't remember if it's a catering or just a bakery. I think it's, I just don't remember. Or maybe it's a lingerie shop. I don't remember. <laughs> it's something with another person. It's a business. Okay, she does something. Now, are the Harlequins Presents extras? Am I misremembering that these are the ones that are also Mills and Boone Modern Heat? I have no idea. All right, because I love the Modern Heat, and I know they get folded into Presents, but I've never been able to tell. Apparently, there's some way to tell, and I've never never been able to break the code. I think Ridley knows. We should have her on, and she can explain it to us. I don't understand it. I think it's been explained to me many, many times, and it has not made sense to me, so it's not information. I I can only retain information I understand. So in any event, um, they decide not to, they they have a a meet-cute, but then uh, they decide that they're not going to see each other again um, 
Oh, no, no. Okay, so I'm getting it confused. Okay, so what happens is that they have a one-night stand. And she leaves because all she wants was that one night. And okay. he's, he was like, well, you know, um, usually he's the one that never stays past midnight. So he's kind of taken aback that she's left. But then um, they, they run into each other again. And she uh, actually uh, starts babysitting a dog for her sister. Huh. And she needs help because she has to go do uh, her work. And she needs him to, so she calls this guy and says, you know, I know you are free in the afternoons because your nightclub doesn't start, business doesn't start till the night, obviously. And you're the only one I know who could help me out, but will you watch my dog for a day? And that kind of brings them back together. And he starts watching her dog every afternoon. And they, they agree to go have a, a little affair. They, they both know that um, they're not in a place in their lives that they can commit to each other. And so they start this affair, and over time, obviously, their feelings develop into something much stronger than they had anticipated. So you're enjoying that? Or did you? Oh, I, I, yeah, I did enjoy it. I finished it. Oh, yay. So that's our discussion of contemporary romance and books that we've really liked. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. The music that you're listening to was provided by Sassy Outwater, and... I'm going to probably mispronounce this, so if I do this wrong, please feel free to let me know how I've gotten it incorrect. This is a Scottish group called Dun and Doris, and the piece is called Pro Terescu, or in parentheses it says Reels. That's the one word I know in this title. Sassy says that she really likes this group because they are real, genuine Gaelic music, and I believe she may have produced it, which is pretty cool. We're going to have a lot more original music from Sassy Atwater coming up in the fall because she's producing all of the good things. And thank you again to Harlequin for being so cool as to sponsor the podcast. If you have feedback on the podcast or would like to suggest some things for us to talk about in future episodes, you can email us at sbjpodcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear what your favorite category romance is or what category you would give someone to convince them that they should give category more of a chance. I confess... I was one who had judged the category romances, and boy, was I wrong. I think there's a category on the site called Sarah Eats Crow, 101 romances, or 1,001 romances, where I made myself read a nonstop diet of contemporary, which made me a much happier person. My gosh. You can also call and leave us a message at our Google Voice number, which is 201-371-DBSA. Don't forget to give us a name, where you're calling from, so we can work your message into a future podcast. And that is a U.S. number, so if you're calling from overseas, make sure to tell us where you are and then speak really quickly, because I don't want you to have an ugly phone bill. Next week, dun-dun-da, I will be at RWA, and I'll be doing interviews at RWA, so future podcasts will involve me talking to a whole bunch of people. Currently, the plan is to bring alcohol to my hotel room and then talk there, which sounds really skeevy, but should come up very awesome. I want to talk to some editors and publicists and some people who are there for the first time. So if you haven't been to RWA, or you have, this will give you an intimate look at what people think of the conference and how they're enjoying it. And since it's in California, if I can try to tackle a Disney character and bring them to the room, and that's not skeevy at all, I'll try to do that too. In the meantime, wherever you are, I hope you are enjoying the very best of reading. Bye.